0: Hey guys, it's Marissa Martino of Pause and Reward, and I am speaking on behalf of Ursa, Kayla, and myself, because today is our one-year anniversary of this podcast. We are so, so grateful to all of our listeners out there for reaching out to us, for asking questions, for
1: stopping us at conferences and saying hello. We very much appreciate that you are listening and that you are enjoying the podcast, And we just want to say a deep, heartfelt
0: thank you for continuing to listen and for helping us reach over 35,000 downloads. We promise to continue offering high quality content and please continue to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. Hello and welcome to the Canine Conversations Podcast, where we're positively obsessed with behavior. Join us each week as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. Today's episode includes myself, Ursa Acre, co-owner of Canis Major Dog Training, and we also have a special guest, Jennifer Berg, with Oberhund Dog Services. Jennifer is a CPDTKA from Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, who has taken on a really interesting project that we're going to discuss with her today. So Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to delve into this topic. So Jennifer reached out to us a while back and let us know that she's been gathering information and observing and researching dog park design and studying how it can influence dog-dog interactions and conflicts or lack thereof. So um, we jumped at the chance to talk with her about this because we think it's a topic that really resonates with most dog owners, at least those of us who have dogs that can go to the dog park. Also, just anybody with a dog who's interested in the dog park or maybe who has had a bad experience there or who's interested in improving their experiences there. So um, we're really eager to talk with you about this today. So um, to start with, can you give us a little bit of information
1: about how you got interested in this concept I became interested in this topic largely because of um, my clients' bad experiences at dog parks Mm -hmm. and reading posts on dog park Facebook groups about (laughs) the dog conflicts that are happening and then, you know, and then going there and observing owner behavior and what was going on. And I felt like I was, you know, watching a sports game, yelling at the team players, you know, you should be doing this instead, you know. So watching dog owners behave in off-leash parks, uh, um, and then also just recently in our in my city, Regina, Saskatchewan, we're having um, a new dog park being developed, which is very exciting because we don't have very many. So we're very excited about that. And I thought, you know, I want to do a lot of research, get some evidence so that what I instinctively know to be true, we'll have some data to back it up. And maybe I can help make this new dog park a little bit better designed to help alleviate some of these problems. That's awesome. So well, anyway, so I <laughs> well and then I decided so I decided to pursue pursue this idea of how does the design of the park can influence behavior of the humans and the dogs. Because, you know, there's rules on the dog park sites. And if everybody followed the rules and if everybody was was a well educated dog owner, now there would be no problems really. Right. So the idea was that that is a battle that I probably won't win. <laughs> you anyway, know. So I thought perhaps the design aspect of the park itself could help. So, like, if you think of environmental design, so behavior modification through antecedent arrangements, yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, when I was doing a little bit of the preliminary research, uh, looking into landscape architecture and things like that, one of the concepts of landscape architecture itself is that you need to understand the behaviors and the needs of the primary users of a space. Okay. So, landscape architects are are experts in doing this and getting the information of how do people use the space, right? And mm-hmm. then what are their needs for the space? And that's how, that's what guides them in their design. And it, I came to the conclusion that a lot of the, these designers or the, a lot of these dog parks are designed not with dogs in mind, that mm. dogs are not considered the primary users of the dog park, <laughs> yet they are yeah. the primary users sure. of the dog park. Like, so, you know, you, I'm reading this research about what makes a great dog park and getting some books out about dog park experts. And, and I'm reading some of the, the suggestions and I'm thinking, well, that's not going to go well for dogs. Like these are parks that are great for people, but you know, some of these things, yeah, that's really not going to go well for dogs. And that could be part of the problem why a lot of these dog parks have these conflicts between the dogs. Cool. And so anyway, uh, I I did a little bit of research on that and and just wanted to really tailor my research into finding out how design can influence dog behavior and the human behavior. Yeah. Dog park. So that's, that's where I started.
0: That's awesome. That's, that's a, a great um sort of mantle to take up because dog parks are so ubiquitous and, you know, so popular among um, dog owners, at least. I know they can be a really controversial subject among trainers. Um, you know, personally, here in Denver, we have a couple of really amazing dog parks. They're um, about 100 acres each. Uh, I am really fortunate to live pretty close to one of them. And it's like, Um, there's woods and there's a stream and there's grassland and trails and, you know, birds are flying around. And so there's, tons of space and tons of enrichment. Um, and I love it Sounds that. lovely. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. I call it the happiest place on earth because I would, you know, it's nice because I rarely ever see conflict there because it's so open and spacious and there's so much to do and dogs who don't necessarily want to interact can get away with that. Um, mm-hmm. but then we also have a lot of what we call, um, dirt parking lots, <laughs> mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. are like, you know, the size of somebody's backyard and it's just gravel or sand and like some benches to sit on. And, and then nothing for the dogs to do and no space for them to get away from each other. So I have really mixed feelings about dog parks. And I think if they're good, great. And if they're not good, you know, then I they're coach, awful. yeah, then they're awful. And I coach <laughs> my clients to avoid them. So what mm-hmm. are, um, what are your feelings? What's your opinion of dog parks in general?
1: Uh, similar ideas, mm-hmm. you know, when they're well-designed or when they're, when the environment is, um, <clears throat> uh, stimulating enough that engages the dogs and they don't have to resort to bullying other dogs for mm-hmm. out of boredom. Or for example, if they're too small, you know, they can't get right. the space they need and things like that. So I am in, in my town, I'm not a fan of the dog parks cause yeah. we don't have very good ones at the moment. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, oh. and, and also the design of it is one thing, but then there's also the lack of sort of supervision that you get at dog parks. And so because of that, and just the fact that there's a lot of dogs that shouldn't be at a dog park
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that are there. And so it's just, it's just too much of a risk for me. I'm a bit of a conservative trainer where I I want to really set the dogs up to succeed. And I want to Manage the situation so that there's not going to be a problem. And and you can't really do that in a dog park.
0: Right. There's so many factors that you just can't control. So, you know, it's kind of like what I try to tell owners is it's not for every dog. Like, there are dogs that are just those social butterflies that love everybody, that take nothing personally, that can get Mm -hmm. along with all different kinds of personality types. And those are really the dogs that should be going to the dog park. And everybody else. Maybe not so much. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know? I, I use an I use an analogy when I explain to some people, some of my clients about dog parks, and I say it's it's kind of like, well, the dog parks we have here they're kind of like a prison yard, or a <laughs> without the guards, right. Or a or a or a, uh, a playground without the teacher supervision. Yes, and so you have kindergartens <laughs> mixing with grade eights and grade fours and and some high school students, and you've got all sorts of inappropriate behaviors that could be going on that nobody's there to supervise or even hold people accountable for their behaviors. So yeah, yeah, it's just, it's too (laughs) too uncontrollable. Yeah, it's kind of a (laughs) free-for-all. Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, so you had mentioned um, something about kind of expanding our concept of what a dog park is, Um, and can you talk a little bit about
1: that? Yeah, and you touched on it a little bit that there are like destination dog parks where it's like you know, a, a beautiful space where people yes. go there just to have their dogs run off leash. And you make a point of actually going there as 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 a destination. It's not, oh, I got to let the dog run around. Let's just find the nearest place where there's a fence. Got it. It's, so a destination dog park is something where people, you know, will plan their day around it or they'll plan to go there during a certain day on the week. And, okay. And they have to probably travel a distance to get there as well. Mm-hmm. So that's one concept. Um, and then the neighborhood parks are another one where it's not necessarily a destination where you're planning your day around, but it's a place where, yeah, where it's convenient or it has a fence. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't have, if your dog doesn't have a good recall. um, (laughs) uh, Yeah. So it maybe has a nice grassy area as opposed to some of the dog runs, which is another version of a dog park. Like sometimes they just put a fence around an open lot and they call that a dog park. And that's where we have a lot of the problems as well. well. We have a problem here in our city where we have um, seasonal off-leash areas, they call them. Oh. And basically, it's it's hockey rinks that aren't used during the summer. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, so it's an outdoor hockey rink that, uh, you know... Can it has I just the, say that feels substrate. very Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. So it's a, well, you know, make use of the space when sure, you can't no, play hockey it. on it, right? I love it. Yeah so, yeah, so the substrate is very, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a crushed gravel sort of, very okay. hard on paws. And mm. again, it's a board fence around that... So most of the sides now have chain length, which makes it taller, but that's just to stop the hockey pucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but there is one short side. So, you know, it's only four feet maybe high, so many dogs can leap over that. So it's for not sure. bad for, for smaller dogs. And, you know, it's a smaller space. hmm so the smaller dogs, you could have a bit more in there than you could. Like, if you have one large dog in there, it's pretty much all you can have. Maybe oh, wow. Two, if really? They know, okay. If they know each other. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that's... So there's different ideas. So when we're talking and discussing with the city trying to get more dog parks, um, a lot of times the city... Some of the planners are like, well, we can't afford a big giant destination dog park. Well, maybe if we had some more smaller off-leash mm. areas that may be unfenced, but there's there it's a green mm-hmm. space where... People can run their dogs off leash, and, mm-hmm. and it's just if you provide more uh, areas that are smaller and closer into neighborhoods, then mm-hmm. it takes a lot of the pressure off the destination dog parks.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Does that, that make sense? Because if somebody mm-hmm. just wants
1: to run their dog after work for 20 minutes, they don't right. necessarily have to drive across the city to visit one of our two dog parks. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, so anyway, so, so that's just the and idea. kind of like that
0: spread it, out the the population a little bit more, so not everybody is going yeah. to the same place.
1: yeah. Yeah, and possibly even in an ideal world, make them enough of them in in the city that are close enough within walking distance of people.
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Wouldn't that be great?
0: Oh, my gosh, I know, (laughs) I know.
1: Well, it's interesting here because Denver has become...
0: Um, I've lived here about 10 years and it has become a really, really apartment and condo heavy area because our population has grown so much. And so, um, and I, I live in an apartment as well. And what passes for a dog park in most apartment communities is, I mean, kind of sounds like what you described where it's, I mean, you know, the size of like... a a large living room (laughs) and they put turf down or they put sand down. And to be honest, like in my apartment, um, it's not so much used as a social gathering place for dogs. Like I don't often see groups of owners down there with different dogs. It's almost like, we kind of like people, and we don't use it very much. We walk our dogs, but people will go down and let their dogs run around and kind of potty and play. And then they see somebody coming and they pack up and leave. And the next dog comes in and they do their thing and then they pack up and leave. And so it's almost like we sort of all use it as a yard <laughs> and right, take turns. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, you know, so yeah. And there's not, it's, there's no enrichment. It's just like a little fenced in a lot where
1: the dog can do their business off leash. So, you know. Yeah. But that's important too, right? Because if you live in condos and apartments, you need a place where the dog just needs go potty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Um, Before we talk a little before we talk about what you found in your research, I'd love to hear a little bit about your research methods. Like how did you collect your data? What data were you
1: looking for? The first thing I did was I went to the dog parks and I observed. I wanted to know what I was seeing, what I was looking at, where maybe I should direct my research. So that was the first part. And I used to supervise a doggy daycare and, and dog play groups and stuff. So I knew a little bit of what to look for. Well, I knew a lot of what to look for <laughs> in, in dog group behaviors and things. And, and I got a sense of what the owners, how the owners were behaving. And then after that, what I started with created a few surveys, just quick online surveys, five, six questions, you know, take five minutes to to answer and just to gather some initial data of where did the dog park, where do the dog conflicts happen? Um, how often do you use a dog park? How severe were the conflicts? Mm -hmm. Or do you have a small dog? Was it a small dog, large dog conflict? You know, Mm. all little questions like that just to sort of get a real sense of where my research might lead. Mm -hmm. So I did two of those surveys. Um, each the second survey, I refined the questions a little bit more based on the first. And they nice. were just 100, 100 responders, basically. Oh. And I just sent them to Facebook groups uh, across Canada and North America. Uh, sorry, Canada and the United States. Uh, Facebook groups that were dog park groups. Okay. And said, you know, anybody experienced a dog park conflict? Feel free to answer this questionnaire. Hmm. And then it was a completely anonymous as well. So all my data is completely anonymous, and but it's just from dog owners who have experienced dog park conflict. Okay. And anyway, so after those first two surveys, 200 people, then I was able to refine the data a little bit more. And I created a third survey. Again, I'm waiting for a hundred response responses. Okay. I've got, I think about 50, 55 right now. So I am just waiting for that data to come in.
0: Oh, cool. And it's
1: looking like the data that I'm getting in this third survey is, is basically reconfirming what I've got in the first few and my, and okay. my, yeah. And my what i anticipated i was going to get basically Mm -hmm. um but there were a few surprises in my data Uh, so anyway after that uh i'm also doing more um of a formal observational data so i you know go with my clipboard and i sit in my car and i watch the dog park and i (laughs) and the last time i was there i was watching um uh well counting how many people were using the space within the hour how long they generally stayed um and then also, if I did see a conflict, whereabouts in the park that happened, mm-hmm. uh, if it involved a toy. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and then, then I watched the behavior of, of the people as well. Um, did they, you know, follow the rules? Did they have their dogs off leash before entering the park? And then, or like from the parking lot to the park mm-hmm. entrance. And, and then when they got in, what did they do? Did they just stand around? Did they actually move? Uh, you know, and, and also I was looking for um, how many people were sitting down and and Mm. (laughs) and how many people were having conversations with each other and their dog and how far away was their dog and what was their dog doing so just (laughs) you know trying to just get uh, what i what was i observing so that that's where i'm at right now and then of course i'm right now i'm researching as well um different uh cities and and uh in countries in this case too to see what if there's anybody else who's doing the same research as me and what they may have found
0: Oh, neat. Hopefully they'll be listening to this podcast and they'll (laughs) be able to connect with you. Also, I was going to say, if you make sure to give me the link for your survey, I can put it in the show notes. Maybe we have some uh, listeners who could contribute to that uh, data collection. Oh, that would be
1: great. Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: I've witnessed a few (laughs) dog park conflicts myself even. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. Cool.
0: Okay. I wish uh, I wish Kayla could have made this um this episode because she is like our data guru. I don't know if you heard the episode where she talked about how she chose her dog Barley. No. Oh my gosh, she set up this system where she assigned a score um, in each of these categories, where she decided you know what she wanted in a dog, and then she went through round one and scored each dog, and then refined it to like these must-have characteristics and scored you know each dog that she was considering. It was it was very extensive.
1: (laughs) Wow, she made a rubric. Oh, good for her. Essentially, yeah, yeah. So she is
0: very much our like data head of the group. So I know she would be really excited to hear about your. uh, your process.
1: Yeah. Well, and on that note, it's very smart of her to do that too, so that she was not going to be making an, uh, an emotional decision. She would be making one that based on logic and exactly and clear thinking <laughs> rather than letting those little puppy dog eyes sway her to make a decision.
0: I know because we all say we're not going to let that happen. And then it does.
1: <laughs> exactly. I know I would have eight dogs at least by now if I could have. <laughs> right, right.
0: All right, cool. So um, once you did uh, kind of collect all that data, and I know you're still kind of aggregating it and analyzing it, but um, what kind of patterns have emerged? What challenges do you see with dog park design? And then can you talk about how you think these features
1: influence um, dog behavior when they're there? Okay, well, uh, so an overview of the problems. Uh, Well, there's not enough. We talked about that a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) The data. Okay, so the stats that I got on dog park conflicts... So, one thing I wanted to know was um, when, during the person's visit, were the most conflicts? And and what I noticed from the data, it was pretty strong that the first five minutes was when the conflicts, most of conflicts, happened. So I had twenty-eight percent. Yeah, twenty-eight percent of the respondents said that conflict happened within the first five minutes of arrival. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense because you know dogs in a highly stimulated. Uh, state you know over uh, a state of over arousal will you know their behaviors will degrade and so
0: yeah and kind of negotiating
1: that those interactions and yeah 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 Yeah. and the first five minutes when they get to the space it's super exciting and everything's really new and they're all amped up because they're excited about being there and so that can be part of the problem and also in our dog parks and I'm assuming it's Pretty much standard across most dog parks. They have the entrances and the exits very near each other. Mm-hmm. So what you've got is dogs in high states of arousal entering the dog park, <laughs> and tired and cranky dogs leaving. Dogs <laughs> tired cranky exactly <laughs> leaving. So we've got those dogs meeting. Plus, then we know about for what I've learned from observation and from my dad as well is that people tend to hang around the entranceway. Yeah. You know, people tend to get in and then they stop and their dogs stop because yeah. it's all interesting. Dogs appeed there and they want to hang around there. And so the, it could, the entranceway is very congested. And so mm-hmm. that's obviously why they, a lot of the conflicts would happen in the first five minutes because that's where people are, right at the yeah. entrance. When you um,
0: asked people to report on um, these incidents, what did you define as a conflict or how did you
1: have them de- define a conflict? Right. I left that up to them at this okay. point. Okay, but I did ask questions later as to the severity. So ask specific questions: Was there blood? Did it require a vet injury? Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. a vet visit, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, um, uh, what I also noticed about the the where the conflicts happened, and we talked, I talk, mentioned that it was the entrance. So I, I have in the next survey that I'm working on, I've, I've narrowed the the questions down to: Was it within 20 feet of the entrance? Was it within mm. 50 feet of the entrance? And was it within 100 feet of the entrance? Hmm. And based on what's coming in. And what I've previously asked for questions on that, 80% of the conflicts happen within 100 feet of the entrance. Hmm. So that is a clear indication. You know, yeah, by that's the a entrance. trend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that 80%, that's, yeah. And then I'll, I narrowed some of that data down in the third survey, and it's looking to be that about 35% of it, of the conflicts within the entranceway, they, they happen within 20 feet of the entrance. That's really significant. So yeah, so and that's really important for when you're designing the dog park because you don't want to have things that are going to peop- cause people to to linger there yeah. or cause dogs to want to linger there. We want yeah. to get people past that hundred foot mark and then. Yeah that might help with the, oh, with the conflicts reducing
0: them. That's so fascinating because yeah. I'm just thinking of like my destination dog park that I live over by and um, it's the really big one and it is mm-hmm. it is nice because it's so big, like I said, probably about 100 acres. But I'm thinking like you walk in and probably within 30, 40 feet there's a dog water fountain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. So my research would, would suggest to move that water fountain. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's yeah. a, yeah, that's really interesting.
1: Okay. Yeah. And, and, and I'll talk later about benches, like move oh, yeah. the benches away. <laughs> you don't want people sitting near the entranceway. So it's crowding it up. Right. Or yeah. you, when you have picnic tables, even when they're outside the dog park, like a lot of people want to go to a dog park to and they'll sit on outside the dog park to watch right. the dogs. I love it. I mean, I can't think of anything more fun just to watch dogs running around. Play and but yeah. <laughs> they'll have they'll have picnic tables right near the entranceway when people are going in. It's like wow, that's really not the place to have that. Yeah, so, yeah. No, that's yeah. great. That's great to know. So just thinking like thinking from the dog's perspective. Anyway, um, a couple other stats that might be of interest was I, I looked into the idea of a toy. So a lot of the co- conflicts that were complained about on Facebook and stuff always said, well, don't bring dogs, don't bring balls to the dog park. Don't, (laughs) you know, don't bring your toy because my dog doesn't like toy. And then there's an argument between somebody else. Well, I like to bring my toys and my dog's fine with toys. Anyway, so I wanted to find out what the size of the problem was with these toys. You know, is it a big thing that we should worry about or is it one that's just, you know, it happens once in a while. So from my my research so far, it looks like, oh, about 15% of the conflicts seem to involve a toy or an object that had been used as a toy oh huh so like a like a stick or something yeah yeah so yeah so that's just 15 percent. so I don't <laughs> know that that's enough of a of a problem or with data to, to say this is actually a severe problem or not yeah. to, to make a rule saying no toys yeah what I would suggest is that because there seems to be you know, 50% is still 15% if, if perhaps there was a no-toy zone near the entranceway. So mm. making air, certain areas of the park where it might be more congested or there might be more traffic to possibly mm-hmm. have areas where, where you would have no toys in that zone. Put your toys away. Have, you know, yeah, have, have people, you know, signage, whatever... And, and educating people just to say, yeah, this is a no-toy zone.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Like the no-wake zone for boats when they're close to the to the marina yeah. or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. I like that. And, yeah. you know, it also – and we'll speak a little bit more about this later, but it also indicates, you know, b- given that it's a – kind of a relatively small percentage of the conflicts that seem to be involved with toys, I feel like that's also a good indicator that that's an opportunity for self-selection for people whose dogs don't do well around toys or sharing toys to say like, eh, maybe the dog park's not for us, or maybe we go on days where it's, you know, lower traffic or, you know, later in the evening or whatever. Like that's, you know, that to me indicates that it's very much sort of like an individual dog thing as opposed to like an overall issue where a lot of dogs are likely to have that issue, right. problem, right? yeah.
1: Yeah. And again, with any kind of rule for a a public place, you have to consider everybody and you can't just make a rule because one person, you know, but you know, you do have to have some rules to help. So, for um, so then another bit of the data that I got was, um, on the severity and the frequency of the physical injuries. I wanted to know how serious are the injuries if if there's a dog conflict. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and the good news is, um, less than half of the of the conflicts resulted in an injury Hmm. so that to me shows that's pretty good dogs are pretty good at solving Mm -hmm. conflicts without resorting to injuries so Mm -hmm. that was a very you know pleasant surprise I mean it's still high 45 percent yeah yeah you know it's still injuries right sure so then I looked into what the severity of the injury was so Mm -hmm. um what I've got so far and again this data may shift a bit um 28 of the conflicts drew blood Okay. Now, I didn't ask how much blood or anything, but it was just enough. I, fig- I figured that kind of question was, you know, clear enough that, yeah, there was blood th- or no, there was no blood. Right. And then I asked about vet visit. Was there a vet visit re- that was required? And of the conflicts, uh, 21% mm-hmm. required a vet visit. Hmm. So, and then again, I don't know if that was just the owner being cautious. Sure. Right. Or <laughs> if it actually did require a vet visit, you uh-huh. know, if the injury was severe enough. And then I asked, uh, and I got some information of uh, 18% required three to 10 days to heal.
0: Hmm. So
1: that to me was a, you know, it wasn't asking somebody a, a, a question where they had to answer based on their own interpretation. It was sure. more like, yes, like How it bad was it? This, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was really, really bad. It was awful. Well, how, yeah. what do you mean? Be specific, be concrete. <laughs> As Dr. So, Friedman would say, quantify. <laughs> quantify. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> so, yeah. So a quanti- quantitative response rather than a qualifying. So Excellent. anyway, 18% said they, t- it took three to 10 days for it to heal. And then twenty four percent said that it took more than ten days to heal. So, the, mm. and some of them like eight percent was like more than twenty days to heal. So those were seem mm. more severe, obviously. Mm-hmm. And these were so, of the conflicts that were reported to have resulted in injury. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, yes. So twenty four percent required more than ten days to heal. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. in my in my third re- uh, survey, I have broken that down into was it ten to twenty days? Was it more than twenty days? So I oh, okay. could see if there was <laughs> how many were really severe.
0: Really, really severe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. But what I found in my research was a little bit more concerning, and you, as a trainer, know this as well, is the behavioral injuries.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah the
1: dog wasn't physically injured mm-hmm. but know, now my dog is 5%. really
0: anxious every time we go or now they that's right are defensive around other dogs
1: or reactive yeah 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 interesting so that's okay. where we found uh, uh about half about half oh, of wow. the conflicts resulted in there so that's pretty pretty serious from my perspective because and i'm and i'll get more data on this later but because a lot of the behavioral injuries i call them can be are, are fairly permanent like their months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and some of them, it's permanent. They say they never take. Can, they can no longer take their dog to a dog park for sure, know, or their dog yeah. is permanently f- afraid of all dogs now. Yeah. So, uh, some of them are even afraid of the park itself, or afraid of a car ride now. So it's 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 really a problem. And even though there's no physical. Injury. It's. I think the behavioral injuries are the ones that are a little bit even more concerning because you can heal a broken leg, right? Or you can heal a a, a skin skin tear. But trauma.
0: Yeah, trauma is so difficult to heal, if if ever, if it can be done. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a it's a
1: constant, constant work in progress, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, there's also the the um, the emotional trauma that extends to the owner, having to witness it, and then having to continue to manage that problem with their dog ongoing. And like, it's just a ripple effect.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, usually with physical injuries, they heal and they move on, you know, best Mm -hmm. case scenario. But yeah, I I agree. It's, it's significant for sure. Mm -hmm. So, wow. So 50% about 50% you said? Okay.
1: Yeah. And again, that'll be broken down later when I get more data. It'll be broken down into, yeah, they were, they were nervous or whatever for, for a couple of days, but they were fine. Or maybe after a couple of weeks they were fine. Or Or we haven't been back since
0: or yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, Yeah. that's, that's good. A good question to ask because like you said, a lot of people don't think about that, um, in terms of the fallout. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I coach a lot of my clients. It's, I'll have clients that will bring their dogs to the dog park um, even though I feel and what I observe and what I hear tells me that the dog doesn't really want to be there. Um, And to have to be able to put a number on like well if things go south you have a 50-50 chance that your dog is going to be damaged by this is Mm -hmm. just really astonishing you know. And I think again like kind of you said earlier you know, you wanted to put numbers behind what you already felt to be true. And that's kind of how that makes me feel is like, this is what I've already been telling my clients. Like if things go bad, they're going to go likely really bad.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. There's so, that potential. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, well, so what about um, what about small dog or special use areas? So you were talking earlier about like a no toy area or um, that sort of thing. So are small dog um, uh, parts of the dog park worth it? And is size really a factor in dog dog conflict?
1: Right, and this was a little bit of surprising uh, information for me because I, you know, went in thinking, oh yeah definitely have a small dog area. That sounds safer, much, much better, right? And, mm-hmm. and it would make things much eat better. Uh, but what I've learned is a, is a little bit different than what I expected. So uh, for the small dogs, what I learned was um, the, the conflicts between small dogs and large dogs aren't really more frequent than the average conflicts between mm-hmm. all sizes. Mm-hmm. So there doesn't seem to be more conflicts between small and large dogs. But what does seem to be different is that the the severity so surprisingly the ones most of the conflicts will or a lot of the conflicts will result in a bite but it's not the little dog getting bitten it's the little dog biting (laughs) the large dog which surprised me and I thought well I need to make sure I'm getting this information correctly so my third survey will will break that into a little bit more detail for me but thinking about why that number or why the numbers might be uh, skewed that way would it made me think, well, yeah, if a little dog is being approached by a large dog, they might be more afraid and so be might be more likely to bite in defense, mm-hmm. right? It's not mm-hmm. that little dogs are, are more aggressive. They're just more scared. And so they sure. might bite as a, as a defense, right? Yeah. And so that made a little bit more sense to me why I was getting numbers like that. And then mm-hmm. also what did also come clear, which makes total sense, is that when there was a severe injury... The dog, the small dog is more susceptible to the severe injury. So when there is a a conflict that results in an injury, it's the, the little dog that suffers more. Sure. Right. Sure. Yeah. Does that make that sense?
0: makes sense. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. No. Um, just so, by based nature of that, yeah, so
1: based on that size, yeah, and so based on that, you know, there there could be a, a case made for making a small dog area, like fencing it off within the dog park or beside the dog park, having a small dog park area. But what mm-hmm. I've noticed is from Facebook conversations between people where I just lurk <laughs> in the group, is that a lot of people go to the dog park to socialize and they want their dogs to socialize, and so a lot of people aren't with with the small dogs are not using the small dog area. They're still mixing with the larger dogs because they want to be with their friends and they want their dogs to be with other dogs. Mm -hmm. And so that is a problem because if you spend all this money or if the city, I guess, spends all this money to fence off a small dog area Mm -hmm. and then people aren't using it, making use of it, then it doesn't seem to me to be, you know, financially making sense. However, what I would suggest, and this was suggested by a few other places that I've been looked into, is instead of calling it a small dog area, call it a special use area. So it's a fenced off area. So they're spending the money to fence it, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily restricted to just small dogs. Perhaps there's a time of day during peak periods where it could be for small dogs, but it could also be used when there's no other dogs in there for people with dogs that maybe don't get along very well with other dogs, Yeah, but they really want to use the dog park and they're going to come anyway. (laughs) through hell or high water, they're going Uh to the dog park. So here's Uh a great opportunity to use this other space where your dog can run free, is not going to be a a safety concern to the other dogs. Or if your dog has a problem with a recall, you can work on that in this special use area. Or if you wanna play with a ball with your dog and you know that your dog is toy possessive (laughs) and you don't wanna have a problem, you can use that special use area. So I thought by, and I'll make sure I get some data to back this up, but I thought Mm -hmm. that might be a better way to go about it where you are providing a option for people who have small dogs who maybe don't wanna have their little dogs mixed with the big dogs. And also being able for other people with non-small dogs to be able to use that space when it's available. So that's a great idea. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's a great idea. And then the space doesn't go
0: sort of languish unused (laughs) for too much of the day. Yeah, I love that. And I could foresee that being used kind of like how I was describing like my apartment dog park um, earlier where people just sort of rotate through. Like if they have dogs that they want to have some off-leash time with, but don't get along with other dogs. um, Yeah. Like have a, you know,
1: when somebody's waiting in line, use it after 15 minutes leave. Yep. Like at
0: the gym with the treadmills, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) During busy hours, limit your time to 30 minutes or whatever. Yeah. That's a great idea. I love it. And that makes it, I, I feel like for whatever reason, <laughs> um, I feel like in the sort of, um, you know, pet owner uh, perception, like going to the dog park is like a rite of passage almost. It's it's a thing that you do. And, and I have so many clients for which I feel like it's part of their identity as a dog owner. Um, like, oh, yeah, I want to take my dog to the dog park. I want to go to the dog park. I've got a dog so we could go to the dog park. And I, I feel like if there was a space for, you know, those dogs that maybe don't love to be in groups of other dogs, but the owner could still have the experience of going there and having the dog off leash and, you know, being there and being around other dogs, even if it's, you know, separation, I feel like that maybe would fulfill that need for a lot of people and they wouldn't feel forced to put their dog in a situation that was more than they could handle.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And just the fact that there is a problem with people bringing aggressive dogs or or Dogs with poor social skills. Yeah, to, dog really park. sensitive just the fact that dogs. Yeah, just the fact yeah. that they are bringing their dog there shows that there's a need for a special use area.
0: I completely right. agree. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So um, speaking of those owner behaviors, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about, and maybe you can give us some tips on <laughs> how people can behave. So the... Um, the dog part can be more pleasant for
1: everyone. <laughs> right. Okay. So, well, dog owner behaviors that can increase the probability of dog-dog conflicts, um, you know, generally, I mean, there's lots of different behaviors. But one of the big ones is not recognizing the early stress signals. Mm. Like a lot of people are unaware that their dog is stressed until it gets to the point where the dog is basically yelling. So the dog is growling or biting or snarling, doing these obvious behaviors. And Mm -hmm. as you and I know with being trainers, we know that there's a (laughs) lot of low level stress signals leading up to all those high level ones. And so if people could just recognize those early ones, they could intervene. They could call the dog away. They could move away. And it would just really cause a a big drop in in the conflicts that are happening.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So
1: that's a big one. And that's, you know, owner education, right? So for sure. um, (laughs) And certainly there's a way to incorporate signage in parks where they have signs showing dog body language and things yeah. which I've seen some some that some dog parks actually do. They have those nicely illustrated things. Now whether people are actually watching and looking <laughs> and, and, and absorbing well, the information is yeah. another thing. I was gonna say absorbing yeah. and, and that's, you know, I would say definitely a
0: big challenge just as a trainer, period, is yeah, you know, an owner can hear it and understand it, but then practicing it is also and like recognizing it in real time is a skill right. that you have to yeah. develop. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: I did just run into some research too that suggests that humans, uh, or dog owners I guess, are less likely to recognize early signs of distress than they are to recognizing happiness, like you stress. Oh. And that's and we and I haven't read much of that, so I'm really interested in, in perhaps why that is. Yeah, is it just because they just don't want to believe their dog is unhappy? <laughs> Right? Or they're just on, or they're just unfamiliar with the early signs, like because nobody's pointed them out to them. So yeah, well, and I also
0: wonder, like maybe the signs of distress are a little more nuanced too, because I think everybody could look at a happy dog and be like, oh yeah, that dog's happy because it's so. It tends to be so exaggerated, at least in most, Obvious you know, many dogs. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah, maybe there's yeah. a little bit more nuance to be had
1: there or, yeah, or maybe there is some bias, some optimistic yeah. bias. <laughs> there, that's, what, that's a good point. Okay. So then on, yeah. on that note then, um, so when dog owners, the next point is, you know, what they can do to reduce the chances of dog conflicts. We talked about um, having them paying attention to their dogs and being fully engaged. Yes. And so in the survey results and stuff, yes, I was the conflict happened 20 feet away from me. And I guess I was, I guess I did have my attention on my dog. Well, maybe it wasn't either (laughs) fully engaged attention or maybe it was, you didn't know what to look for. So those two things kind of work together. Sure. Um, So know what to look for and be fully engaged with the attention on your dog. Don't just think just because I'm looking at them that, that that's actually attention. Well, you know, it's interesting when we talk about owners
0: paying attention to their dogs. I really feel like um the d- the dog park design affects that as well because when you don't have much enrichment for the people, you know, when it's just like a little postage stamp a sand lot, people just stand around and they check their Facebook on their phone and they text their friends and whatever. But like, my, you know, my my dog park, my big one that we go to, um you don't stand around; you walk because it's. I mean, there are miles of trails through the prairie, and like your dog takes off and you follow, and so mm-hmm. there isn't a lot of like people with their face on their phones. They're walking after their dog,
1: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and right. so, and and in a space
0: that big, if you don't keep your eye on your dog, you might lose them. <laughs> like I've run That's into right. more than a few owners who are like, "Have you seen a black poodle running around here recently?" <laughs> and because it's fenced oh, in, here? they can't lose their dogs, but you can certainly lose track of them if you're not paying attention. So I do feel like, you know, owners are encouraged to pay more attention to
1: their dogs when the spaces are bigger and there's more to do for the dogs too. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And also doing, and if it is a smaller dog park where you, you know, you don't have a chance of losing your dog because you can see it 20 feet away, (laughs) uh, you can, there are other design elements that can be incorporated to encourage people to get moving, to move along, keep the dogs moving. So that is a big one You know, Mm -hmm. if you wanna reduce the dog conflict, keep your dog moving along. Right. Uh, And and that'll help the other dogs keep moving along because when dogs Mm -hmm. are moving along in the same direction, there's far less likely to be a conflict. And so Mm -hmm. design-wise, you know, designers could make pathways. They could pull the amenities that are in the park farther into the park. So when people come in, they will move to a certain amenity. Make the mm. water fountain a desirable place to go, but you have to actually walk far to get there. Yeah, you have to yeah. Walk to the end, you know, make use of getting people away from the from the entrances. So, don't hang around the entranceway. Um, Keep the dogs moving, Mm -hmm. Uh, pay attention to your dog and know what Mm -hmm. to look for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't have your attention divided with cell phones or socializing with people. It's not that you can't be unfriendly, but just know if you're having a conversation with somebody, that is dividing your attention from your dog. And, you know, let the person know that you'll be interrupting this conversation very quickly. If you see something that's happening with your dog and you can just say just a second and you're just going to watch and then, Oh, everything's okay. Okay. What was that you were saying? And so it's not like you have to be rude or, or, you know, isolate yourself from everybody else, but you know, keep the dog (laughs) moving. Don't stand around. Yeah. Yeah. Your dog is your priority there. Yeah, exactly. Don't set, don't go there to stand and sit around while your dog runs around because you know, that's going to be causing some problems perhaps. Uh, Yeah. yeah. So those are the big, the big takeaways. And then, you know, obviously follow the rules, um, and bring a leash with you because you never know when you're going to need to gather your dog up quickly and get out of there. It might mm. be because your dog is misbehaving, or it might be because somebody else has brought a dog in there that shouldn't be in there, and you need mm-hmm. to get your dog gone, like mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And so, by having the leash there with with you, not hanging it on the fence when you walk in, you know, right. carry it with you so that you can use it, and you know, it can also scoop up somebody else's dog who is you know trying to get away from somebody or needs yeah. to be contained or whatever i mean yeah. not that i'm advocating that you leash other people's dogs but sure it is a it is an option in to an emergency in it's a nice yeah. tool to have around yeah exactly so, in an did mercy.
0: you ask any questions or gather any
1: data about dogs being on leash in the dog park is that a problem that you see often well you know as a trainer you and i both know <laughs> that when you have <laughs> leashed dogs interacting with off leash dogs there can be a problem because the leashed dog cannot get away and and it Mm -hmm. And and the leash does inhibit their Mm -hmm. natural body language. And so it can add some stress to the dog who's on the leash, of course, which, you know, added stress Mm -hmm. can add conflict. So I have some concerns with people having dogs on leash inside a dog park. However, there may be a very good reason for doing that. For somebody mm-hmm. who's educated what to watch for and when to do it <laughs> and what to move away from. So right. I'm, I'm kind of mixed on that. So I haven't specifically looked, I haven't done a survey for that kind of information. But during mm-hmm. my observation, I have seen sometimes people bring in dogs on a leash. And, and and I sort of been watching that and seeing, you know, how's that working out? Why are they doing it? And what mm-hmm. I did notice too, which really surprised me, was that a lot of people will leash up their dogs before they exit. so Mm -hmm. And they'll leash them up like 100, 200 feet away. It's like, why is that person walking on a leash? And it occurred to me, because their
0: dog doesn't have a good recall. I was going to say, I'm sure it's because they want (laughs) to get a hold of their dog before the dog realizes they're leaving.
1: Exactly, exactly. So as a trainer, I'm like, oh, I can totally help you with that. (laughs) You You don't have to have your dog on a leash. But, you know. Yeah. So... Yeah. Anyway, so that's another problem, too. So if they have a leash dog leaving, interacting with mm-hmm. dogs that are highly stimulated, getting into the dog park, and then they're let off leash immediately. So now you have leash dogs interacting with off-leash dogs, and it's just, yeah, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a mess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Okay. Um, well, so I have, uh, so sort of along those lines, kind of to piggyback off of that, are there a couple of behaviors that you, um, suggest to your clients that you love to teach for good skills at the dog park or you, you like to have
1: installed before, um, you know, before they go to the dog park or to make the visit more successful? right right so i uh, just to, i i really don't recommend dog parks to my clients because of the various Fair. reasons and i explain yeah. to them my reasoning and that and then, and then also if they do want to go then i give them some some cautions so that's Basically what I'm going to talk about here is that, so the first thing is I make sure that the dog is not in an adolescent fear period right? <laughs> so,
0: because yes. you don't want anything <laughs> really bad
1: happening when they're in the fear period, you know, permanent learning event. You don't yes. want that to happen. So I recommend <laughs> that their dog is at least, you know, at an age where their temperament is pretty all well Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And that they're not in any kind of a developmental stage where they're extra sensitive. So mm-hmm. Once that is taken care of, uh, um, then I also, for skills, I want to make sure to teach them, you know, teach your dog a really good recall, mm-hmm. practice in a, not an off leash park, practice on a longer leash in a, mm-hmm. an open field area where there's no other dogs around and, and mm-hmm. a long leash, You know, 50 foot leash or whatever, practice a recall so that you have, your dog has the skills. Um, and then also the different types of, techniques you can use to practice a really good recall. And then when they're in the dog park, make sure to call your dog to you very often. Mm-hmm. Give them, you know, praise or whatever. And then let them as a reward go back out into the dog park. Like we're not mm-hmm. really leaving. We just thank you for coming to me. Now your reward <laughs> is you get to go back into the dog park and play. play again so, Yeah. So so that you let them know that just because 'cause you've called them to them doesn't mean they're leaving. It doesn't mean Ten the fun, fun time is, is over. End. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, and that reminds me, you had mentioned something about like people scattering food on the ground. So in terms of like (laughs) taking treats to the dog park to train with you, have you come across any data that suggests that that can be a source of conflict? Uh,
1: No, I didn't ask any questions on that, but uh, I I have, you know, observational data and reading people's complaints on Facebook saying, (laughs) don't bring food to the dog park, you know, and just seeing what, what can happen when somebody, you know, as a pic- like some dog parks have picnic tables and people have lunches there. Oh my, like, oh my goodness, that is just a ridiculous <laughs> idea. But again, I mean- that is just a disconnect. It's like, this is a dog park, but this is a great park for people, but that's uh-huh. not necessarily a good thing for a dog park. Yeah. So I don't recommend bringing. Food, but if you really have to absolutely bring food, make sure it's very low value food, Mm. and just don't give it out when there's a dog within two hundred (laughs) feet.
0: Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And I mean, also like even above and beyond starting conflict, but just so you're not mugged by other people's dogs, (laughs) you know. Yeah, I can't imagine taking a lunch to the dog park, like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but you know, people, you know, and and I don't blame people for not knowing if they don't understand or they've never been told otherwise, you know. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It always surprises me because the, you know, the big dog park that I keep mentioning, cause that's my, really, that's the only one I go to. Um, but, uh, the first time I was in there, um, and saw someone on a bike with their dog. Oh dear. I know. And my, <laughs> I have two dogs and my border collie zip, um, chases bikes. And I, you know, my feeling, I called her off and she is, a well-behaved dog. So she, you know, she came off of the, the bike, but she wanted to chase it and she started to chase it. And my feeling was kind of like, this is a dog park. <laughs> like, exactly, exactly. You know, like my dogs are here to be dogs. You can ride your bike anywhere in the city, but yeah. I can't bring my dogs off leash anywhere. Like this is their place yeah. to be, you know, That's same right. reason I don't take my five year old to the dog park with me because I was, it's not safe.
1: And it, it, this is a place for dogs, not for children. Children can go anywhere. So. And I was just going to ask you what your opinion is of, of children in dog parks. Cause that's a real contentious issue. Yeah. Oh, I know. Well, as a parent of a toddler, um, and it would make it my life.
0: I mean, I would visit the dog park a lot more if he did go with me because, you know, I have to find times where he's at school or, you know, somebody else is watching him. Um, but I just, for one thing, I know too much, I think, <laughs> um, you know, safety wise, I don't feel good about bringing a three and a half foot tall human, Um, with me where his face is at dog face level and if somebody's gonna get bitten, it's likely to be him. Like as a parent, I don't feel that that's a good choice. Um, but then as a trainer slash dog owner, I also kind of feel like, again, this is a place for dogs to be dogs. So if we have a dog that's scared of a child or you know, dogs that are aggressive or whatever, I don't want to put a dog in a situation where they need feel threatened and feel like they need to act defensively. And I certainly don't want to put a dog in a situation where they get a bite history because – of my child, um, mm-hmm. who is well-behaved around dogs, but like, you know, we all know that doesn't always matter. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I feel pretty strongly and I don't know, you know, the hard part is a, there kids are so different developmentally, depending on their age, it's hard to say like, oh, they have to be eight or they have to be 10 or they have, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like size and maturity play a lot more of a factor than just age. And so, right it's one of those things where it's hard to draw a hard and fast rule and you want to say, like, use your good judgment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, that's a qualitative. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Yeah, And and there's also the, 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 the problem too, is like people think, well, I'm going to bring my child there with my dog and I'm going to go in and there's hardly anybody there. So I'm not going to be a problem, but you know, you don't think about the people who are approaching that park and they see a kid there and they think, yeah, I don't want to risk it. And now I can't go in the park. I've made this trip for nothing. And I can't go in there because there's a kid in there and yeah. I just don't want to have that problem. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree. I think that's a great point. Like you don't, you don't see what you miss, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I used to bring him when he was small enough that he could, we could carry like in a pack on our back. Yeah. Cause I felt uh-huh. like that kind of got him off the ground away from the action. And most of the time dogs didn't really even notice that he was there when he was up in his pack. But once he he kind of got to be a bigger toddler, we just, we, he doesn't go anymore. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that could definitely be be a factor in creating some conflict if it makes dogs nervous, you know?
1: Right, right. So. But this would be a great opportunity to have for that special use area.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure, right? Yeah. yeah, bring your
1: family and go use the little side area and, yeah, yeah. run everybody, wear everybody out. <laughs> yeah, it's a little private area, so, you know, you have your. Perhaps you're the only you're the single parent or whatever, or you, and yeah. you have a child toddler and a dog, and you got to take both care care of the, both of their needs at the same time. Go in the separate use area. Yeah, absolutely. 15 minutes in there, done. Yeah, no, I agree. I
0: think that's a fantastic idea. Actually, I hope that takes off.
1: <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, I have um, a question for you. Oh uh, yeah, I, yeah. Um, it has to do with um, the maximum capacity of a dog park. So we talked about dogs oh, yeah. needing a certain amount of space to be able to resolve conflicts and avoid conflicts. Sorry, not okay. resolve conflicts, but avoid them. And sure. so I was speaking with um, some other trainers, and we sort of have the idea of about 1,000 square foot per dog. Um, okay. Some people didn't really know what a 1,000 square foot looked like. So um, yeah. I think it was yeah. Kayla was saying that, you know, she was trying to imagine the size of a tennis court with, with you know, With fence tennis court what size that would be and she figured if uh, a fence tennis court would probably be about four dogs three to four dogs and so that actually works out to be about a thousand square foot per i was gonna say
0: i feel like a tennis court would be about four thousand square feet (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) okay yeah so would, would you agree with that number or do you have a different idea about the you know how much space does one dog need and what would be a maximum capacity so yeah, um, the, what I'm basing it off of is that we do daycare here at our training
0: center and our maximum capacity for our daycare is 15 dogs. And the reason is um, that's the PACFA reg- regulation. So PACFA is the government body that oversees pet care services and um, they require one supervisor per 15 dogs, which I actually think is not adequate, but <laughs> we usually have two. Um, but because um, we don't have always have the staff to provide for more than that. Um, We've limited it to 15 dogs. And our gym where we have daycare is probably about uh, 3,500, 4,000 square feet. But we have screened these dogs. (laughs) Um, We've screened the dogs, we do daycare evaluations, we generally know them, a lot of them, from the time they're puppies and they graduate into daycare. And so it's really a curated group of dogs that um, they know each other, they see each other several times a week. Um, You know, very rarely, probably once every two to three weeks, does a new dog come into the group. And so in that case, you know, I, I, that's my sort of frame of reference is like, well, we can comfortably have around 10 to 12 dogs, but it's a handpicked group of dogs that knows each other. So, yeah, I could see like for dogs that have never have no history, um, maybe different levels of sensitivities and that sort of thing. I would agree. I think that's a really comfortable space, like about a thousand square feet, about four to a tennis court, and that gives them plenty of chances to get away from each other or to avoid interaction if they want to. Um, Right. Yeah. I, I agree. Okay. Well, I'm going to use you as a reference then for that stat. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. On the record, I think a thousand square
1: feet per dog is, is healthy. (laughs) Excellent. Okay. And so then what would be helpful then with dog parks is if you can figure out with whatever dog park you're using, if you know what the square footage is, Mm -hmm. um, then you can decide, oh, you know what, if I go to this dog park today and there's more than 20 dogs, I'm not going to go Mm -hmm. in. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do like a little quick calculation.
1: Yeah, and perhaps even perhaps even the city would even actually post the sign. You know we recommend no more than 20 yeah. dogs
0: or whatever yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. and and maybe even
0: I, that would be an interesting study to see like what the traffic load is at a given dog park and and how close to that ideal <laughs> if it ever <laughs> right <laughs> if it ever hits that ideal or like maybe what the worst of it is like well if the dog park is you know five thousand square feet like how many what how many dogs do we have in the maximum time
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right how far off the mark are we yeah that's interesting yeah well at least in this case by 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 people having that information though they could make the decision themselves to leave you know absolutely yeah Yeah. absolutely for sure
0: um so i did want to ask you this is sort of just a fun question (laughs) Mm -hmm. so if you could design or describe your dream dog park what would it look like
1: Oh boy. Well, I think fully fenced is appropriate for sure. <laughs> <laughs> because you never know, right? There could be chasing wildlife. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, large, lots of trees, um variations in terrain. Mm-hmm. Um pathways that are suitable for uh, a, of a substrate that isn't going to damage the dog's feet, but is also fairly easily navigated by most people so that it's not just limited to very athletic, agile people. <laughs> oh, fair. Yeah. You know, because I think it's important that, you know, everybody get a chance to do it. Yeah. That and I'm accessible. getting older. So, you know, <laughs> if I'm injured, <laughs> right. I don't want to have to not be able to go. Uh, so that's sure. my main thing is, you know, um, oh, multiple entrances and exits. Mm. Big, important because you don't want to funnel everybody through the same entrance and exit because, mm-hmm. yeah, that gets a lot of problems in there. So multiple entrances and exits um and and an engaging environment and I like a, n- a more natural environment. I'm not a big mm-hmm. fan of of the dirt parking lots. <laughs> yeah, parking lots but also just um sort of play structure equipment that isn't oh. maybe in a natural setting because I find that that attracts children. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and vandalism as well. And then you also have to maintain it. And so, oh, is that a rickety thing? Is it going to get a splinter? Mm. You know. So by having you know trees and large rocks that are flat or you know things like that that are naturally part of the environment that are engaging for the dogs mm-hmm. that can provide some some interest but aren't going to be a safety hazard for anybody or a Uh, what do they call that, Uh, an attractive nuisance or something like that for children or (laughs) or, or teenagers to come hang out in or, you know, that kind of thing. So.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. Excellent.
1: And then of course, you know, if there's a water source and if there's lighting and if there's right. suitable parking and, yeah, all those lovely right. amenities. Oh, and no benches. No benches. I don't want I any benches. Right. <laughs> and I feel so bad because people want benches at their dog park. They want to sit and visit. It's like, no, mm, no benches. No, you got to keep moving. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I'm willing, to, I'm willing to allow benches as long as they are not near the entranceway. <laughs>
0: Okay, yeah, that's fair. So to get
1: people away from yeah, I'm thinking make, maybe we need yeah, what's away that? from them. Make yeah. the benches far <laughs> away from the entranceway. Up.
0: We need like a uh, like a Pokemon Go app, you know, where you have to search for the creatures <laughs> and find them, and we need to do that in dog parks so people have to move around the dog park.
1: <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Of course, then they're hunt. looking at their phone, but <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe not that. Maybe just have little signs or whatever or something. Go, or like, just geocaching. let them know about it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. Well, is there anything else that we've, that we've missed that just is, you know, like a burning thing that you want to share with us or tips or anything like that? Or
1: Um, not really just, uh, there's other things, dog parks, like you said, dog parks are not for everyone. And Mm -hmm. you know, there's other ways for you to get your dog exercise to, to have your dog run a little bit. So like learning how to use a longer leash in an, Mm -hmm. in an open area that is a on leash area, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's a 50 foot leash. So your dog is a little bit romping Mm -hmm. and you're not going to get injured and your dog's not going to get injured by this leash if you do it properly. Um, And then also for the social aspect, find a a trainer, a positive reinforcement trainer in your area that maybe runs some dog walking groups. Like I'm Mm -hmm. doing that right now with one of my classes and it's, that's basically becoming a social group now. Like people are coming every year and it's like, well, you don't really need me to help you with your training anymore. (laughs) Do you you really still want to keep coming? Oh yeah, my dog loves it and I love to visit. So there's ways that you can socialize with other dog owners and not have to be in a dog park. So don't think that it's just the only option.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I'll tell a lot of my clients who have dogs that like do okay at the dog park but not great is like put together a play group. You know, like if your dog isn't the social butterfly who loves every other dog, find a couple that he does like and like get those owners together and have, you know, a a doggy playgroup happy hour or you name it, whatever. Um, It doesn't mean that your dog doesn't ever get to be around groups of dogs. It just means you have to be more picky about the dogs that you let them interact with. Um, yeah, and there sake. may even
1: be a there may even be a local trainer who's doing that kind of thing. You know, being yeah. somebody there to act as sort of a supervisor to help. Mm-hmm. You know, navigate and tell people. You know, your dog is a little stressed. Why don't we take a break? You know, like the, right. like the lifeguard <laughs> at the pool who has like, okay, we're gonna have a safety safety yeah, to Everybody, so everybody out of has pool. to clear the pool. <laughs> like right. that's awesome. That would be an awesome thing to have at a dog park. Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh my everybody gosh. Everybody call right? your dog, oh you know, and gosh. then you have to find out, well, does my dog actually have the recall that I think it does. Right. <laughs> we need to put
0: a, have you seen Lisa Malenix's bacon recall video? Do you remember that? Or have you no, seen that? No, no. Um, she's a trainer down here in the States. She was, um, recently the behavior f- manager for the dumb friends league, but she did this great, um, just classical conditioning recall. And she calls it the bacon recall and she put together a video, and so her dog comes running when he hears the word bacon.
1: <laughs> oh, I would love to have that link.
0: I would love to oh, try yeah. that. Oh, the yeah, video. it's great. It's great. So, we do a lot of that with our clients too. But, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it really is about, as a pet owner, um, making sure that the dog park is meeting your dog's needs before mm-hmm. it's meeting your needs, you know? That and is it's really good. Yeah. It's great if I it can agree. meet everyone's needs, but I think if it's the dog park and, you know, allegedly you're there for your dog, it's making an assessment about like, does my dog really want to be here? Are they successful here? Am I setting them up to be successful here? Yeah. And is the dog park setting dogs up to be successful in general?
1: Yeah. You know? like, do you want to really go to the dog park more than your dog wants to go to the dog park? Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's a hard question to ask yourself. It and it's a hard pill to swallow when the answer is, yeah, I'm really doing this because I want to,
1: but you know, mm-hmm. that's part of being responsible for other living things, right? Sometimes yeah, yeah. we have to open oh, them and, <laughs> Yeah. And then that just made me think of another really important point. If your dog is not good with other dogs and needs social skills, a dog park is not the place to build social skills. It's a, you need to yeah. train your dog. You need to, your dog needs to have social skills before they go to the dog park. Because if your dog yes. doesn't like other dogs or is scared of other dogs or whatever, it's like, if you were afraid of spiders, would you, throw, or somebody was afraid of spiders, would you throw them in a room full of spiders and think, yeah, they're going to get over their fear of spiders. Yeah, it's not, not going be to go Figure well. it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if your dog is having problems with uh, other dogs, don't take them to the dog park to try to correct the problem. And it's
0: just like anything where like you can't train it when you need it. You know, like they have to have, like you said, they have to have those skills in place beforehand. Because the dog park really is a place where they have to have, and depending on the dog park, they have to have really savvy social skills and be able to negotiate, you know, some really tricky interactions. And if they don't have those skills, that's not where they're going to learn them, you know. Right. So. Yeah. And also, um, you know, one, one last little thing, um, dogs that are afraid of strangers. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I have definitely had some clients with really sketchy, fearful dogs that did not care for strange people that are like, Oh yeah, we go to the dog park. And I'm thinking like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) (laughs) like one wrong move. And somebody is not, this is not going to go well because your dog is really fearful and defensive of strangers. And I think that the saving grace is that usually they're not forced to interact. The dog is off leash and they have the perception that they can get away rather than being forced to, um, you know, use aggressive behavior to like neutralize that threat. But, um, you know, dogs who don't love strange people, I feel like are not great candidates for the dog park because again, you know, like you said earlier, what if somebody has to get in the middle of something or, um, You know, break up a fight or whatever you name it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to make somebody interact with a dog that really does not welcome that interaction, (laughs) right? Right. (laughs) So, dog uh, dog people conflicts at the dog park would be an interesting one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole other podcast.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, I don't don't know
1: how that could happen. But uh, you know, as somebody, that's a question I have for you. As somebody Mm -hmm. who's familiar and experienced at you know, positive reinforcement, behavior modification. Uh, how would you address human-human conflict at a dog park? Oh, man, that's something that I was thinking about earlier when I, I don't remember
0: what you were saying that made me think of it, but I was like, gosh, that's a whole other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's tough. Um, it, it's hard for me to remove myself from knowing what I know about dog behavior, and so I, I'm not quick to get... Like when I see little snips and snaps and snarls at the dog park, like I, I move on. Like if, if that's, that's communication, right? Um, and so that doesn't bother me, but I definitely see people um, who observe appropriate dog interactions where one dog is just, you know, giving themselves a little space or whatever, communicating to the other dog to take it easier back off and that get really... Um, defensive. The owners get really defensive about that kind of stuff. And so I would say, I think it really all comes back to what you said about, um, I believe that part of the duty of someone who takes their dog to the dog park is to be educated about behavior and body language so that you can distinguish those little appropriate interactions that sound scary, but are over like that. And, you know, it's just a dog, you know, again, getting a little space for themselves or whatever from the things that are actually problematic or troublesome are going to likely escalate into something more. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think being educated in that stuff is really, really important. Um, And then also, um, you know, I I think just as humans, uh, always trying to sort of take a breath. (laughs) 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 And I I like to try to give people the benefit of the doubt Um, and, you know, um, <laughs> do things to
1: de-escalate the situation instead of escalate the situation. Right. <laughs> there, you there you go. And I'm a conflict avoider myself. So just leave. Sure. Just walk away. Yeah. Deflate it. Yeah. 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 But, but oh, to, man, but and I address some, some of these too. Point. Sorry. Say that again. I was just going to say, I've heard some real
0: doozies too from clients who, you know, got yelled at or who got, you know, threatened or, you know, you name it. Like people just get, it's like kids, you know, they get really defensive about their babies. <laughs>
1: yeah. And then I have heard stories where there's somebody who's, you know, the expert dog trainer at the dog park and has watched a couple television shows and, or has had dogs uh-huh. for 40 years and knows everything. Right. I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't sound so awful because... Anyway, people are people, but where they will do, like, a correction, like an alpha roll or they'll, like, oh. ksh, ksh, a gruff shake another's, another person's dog or something. And it's, like, do we give a correction. Or it's, like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> mm. Yeah.
0: And I tend to sort of just stay out of things that the dog – unless I see something that is dangerous. Like, mm-hmm. if someone's doing something dangerous, I'll step in. And that's not even as a dog trainer. That's just as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of tend to stay out. And I, I avoid, like um, – You know, if I see a dog that I think is kind of inappropriate and maybe is looking for some trouble, me and my dogs just move along somewhere else you know, and we just kind of just go, and my dogs are good at avoiding. They, they tend to, they're older and they just sort of want to go and sniff around and, you know, chase squirrels and that sort of thing. They're not super interested. They're very tolerant, but not interested in dog-dog interaction. And so they're really good at just being like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to head out now. Like I'm going to move away from you. And
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, like just avoiding, like you said, just go in your separate ways. Like everybody just take a, take a step back and you know, (laughs) just chill out. It's no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I agree. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the, on the podcast and for sharing all of this with us. What's your next, uh, your next move? What's your next step here?
1: Well, going through the rest of my data, I guess. Uh, and then I hope to create, uh, write up an article, and, and contact some more uh, municipalities to see if they need information. Um, and I've been in contact with my own municipality, and hopefully uh, the landscape architects who will be designing the dog parks will be in contact with me so I can offer some, some suggestions, perhaps. And, you know, I they don't have awesome. to take them. Yeah, but just to be able to say, you know, this is something that could really help. Yeah, but so how a, cool to have...
0: You know you know, like your expertise and all this work that you've done, like if they
1: don't take advantage of that, that's silly. (laughs) (laughs) What I really would hope to happen would be that there would be some, you know, a person at university needing a master's degree or something and needs to do some kind of a a program, a project or something where they would actually be able to get like um, very, what am I doing? Doing doing a very formal study basically, Yeah, you know, rather than just this person who's looking at dog parks and doing the best (laughs) that she can without, you know, a university behind it. You're doing an awesome job because I don't know that anybody else is doing this either. So, you know, the fact that it's happening um, at all. Thanks. I know I got a lot of people asking me, well, who are you and what organization are you working with? It's like, well, I'm nobody. I'm just a dog trainer and I'm really interested in this. And I think it would be, I think it's important to know this stuff. So yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Well, cool. Thank you so much
0: for having me. It was really fun. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd love for you to keep us posted as you kind of go forward and, you know, learn what you learn and, um, you know, just, just keep us posted. I'm really interested to hear, you know, how this plays out and if they take your advice, how the, how the dog park ends up. Um, And I hope, like I said, I hope it takes off because we definitely need more, (laughs) more savvy dog parks. Yes.
1: Yes. More dog parks and better designed ones for sure.
0: Yeah, well, this has been some really valuable and helpful information that can be used by anyone who frequents dog parks to make the experience more safe and stress-free for people and dogs. So we really want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your knowledge on this topic. Um, Why don't you tell us where people can find you online if they'd like to discuss this further or get more information or if they're in your area and
1: they need dog training? Right. The easiest way would be to visit my website. So that's oberhund.com. So I'll spell that o B as in boy, E-R-H-U-N as in no, D as in dog. So it's Oberhund.com. Perfect. And, and we'll can... put that in the show notes too, as oh, well as perfect. your social media stuff. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So mm-hmm. And I'm also on Facebook as well, at Oberhund Dog Services and Products. So between those two things, people can reach me for sure.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, listeners, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Ursa Acree. I'm the co-owner of Canis Major Dog Training in Denver, Colorado. You can find us online at canismajortraining.com, on Facebook and Instagram, and all day every day at our training center in Denver at 601 Bryant Street, where we offer group classes, private lessons, day training, board and train, and positive doggy daycare. Before you go, I want to make sure that you subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com. You can also contact us at hello at canineconvos.com. That's canine all spelled out. And We'd love to hear from you with your thoughts or questions. Our theme music is called Funny Song, and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beherd.org.uk, and our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Thanks so much.